Hey, thanks for listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, or you're not even sure what you believe, we hope that today's message leaves you challenged and inspired to allow God to work in your life today. So last week we started this uh, discussion that I, I mentioned to you has been just a result of some of my own observations and musings over the last while as we kind of see our world kind of just falling apart at the seams everywhere. It doesn't seem like uh, you can uh, turn on the TV or, or hop onto Facebook or your own newsfeed without seeing something somewhere going totally off the rails. And it, and it almost seems like uh, even more than that, that there, there's no standard of, of, of logic being applied to the arguments and the reasoning and rationale. And it just seems like there's no foundation for anything. And, and so it feels like we're in this sort of tornado, this hurricane of of things happening and nobody knowing quite how to respond or where they stand or, or what's right and what's wrong and everything has become so subjective that we don't know what to think or believe anymore. And I mentioned last week that my hypothesis is that, and we're going to learn this from Scripture, that everything that happens in this, the physical realm has a spiritual component to it. That the spiritual realm and the physical realm impact each other. And that impact actually goes both ways. That that what's happening in the spiritual realm actually impacts us in the physical realm. And also what we do in the physical realm, how we engage in the physical realm has an impact in the spiritual realm too. And I've been wondering to myself as... I've been watching what's going on. I've just been wondering, God, what is the right approach? How do you even have a measured approach to everything that's going on? How do we process everything that's going on? And, and last week we, we looked at um, a story in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament that, that gave us a, a little window into what happens in the supernatural realm. And that story was of Daniel in the the later years of his life, the last few years of his life. He was fasting and praying because he was so distraught over what was happening around him in his country and in the country of Babylon that he was exiled on. He was so distraught and he was so overwhelmed that he decided to pray. And he was praying and fasting for 21 days when an angel came and revealed himself to him and basically said, Daniel, uh, I heard you and God heard you from the moment you started praying. But when I tried to come and deliver this message to you from God, there was opposition supernaturally. That actually this, this spirit prince and authority over the, the kingdom of Persia blocked me. So I had to get Michael, an archangel, to come and help me fight him so that I could come down to you and deliver this message. And we see that there's this interconnection between what's happening in the physical realm and what's taking place in the spiritual realm. And we realized last week that if if we want to begin the journey of of walking in more authority and more peace, we have to begin praying 
and asking God to show us how to pray. That's probably one of the single most effective and powerful tools that I can give you, and it's so simple, but yet so often we forget it. That when we're going through stuff, when our world is going through stuff, when stuff is happening in our home and at work, on every front, so often we forget to stop and say, God, I need some understanding here. And that's what Daniel was praying for. He wasn't praying and asking God to fix this and fix that and set that person right and, you know, do this or do that. He was saying, God, I just, I don't know what to think or what to believe, so I need your help. And when it comes to us actually walking in the authority that we have in Christ, the first step is to ask for understanding. We don't see the full picture. But so often when we approach God, we approach him with the presumption that we know exactly what's happening. It's kind of like a golf swing. I don't know if you're big into golf. There was a season in my life before I had kids when I loved golfing. But I remember I went and I took some lessons at Legends there uh, in the falls. And uh, these were video golf lessons. And I was really excited to do this. And so I went for my first lesson and I was shanking the ball like crazy, left and right, all over the place. And the instructor said to me, he said, do you know what's happening in your swing? And I said, of course, I know exactly what's happening. I'm doing this and this and this and this. And he said, okay, uh, we're going to just have you hit a few more shots and we're just going to videotape it and then we'll take a look and see what's happening. And so he uh, shot some video and then we went back into the booth to watch the video and precisely the exact opposite of what I thought I was doing, I was doing. He said, no, your problem's not what you thought it was. It's this, and it's this, and it's this. And the list went on and on and on. But it was so fascinating to discover that I thought I knew how to fix my swing. I thought I knew what was happening mechanically to my body, but I had no clue what was going on. And I think that that's often so similar When we talk about the spiritual realm around us, we like to think we know what's happening. We like to think that we understand what's going on behind, you know, uh, under the surface. But so often we forget to just simply ask Jesus to show us and to give us insight. And so that's the first step in us actually walking in authority spiritually in our lives is sitting down and saying, God, I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure what's causing this. I don't know why this is going on. So I'm asking that you'd show me. And then keep praying that and praying that and praying that until he does. That's the other problem we have is we get so impatient that we pray that for two days or one day and then we're, oh, I guess uh, I'm just off to the next thing, right? And so we, we don't actually spend the time and the investment to try and gain understanding that we don't have. We talked about last week the reality that those who follow Christ, those who are in a relationship with Jesus, have the same authority that he does because of what he did on the cross. And today, I just want to go one step further in this window into the spiritual realm to understand again 
what the deal is, what the structure is, and, and how God has kind of orchestrated things. Because it's so important for us to understand that the enemy wants to get us focused on our condition, on everything that's going on around us, everything that's falling apart, everything that's going sideways. When Jesus said that our position in him is absolute and doesn't change. So what is the supernatural relationship between the devil or the enemy of God and God himself? Let's take a look, we get a, a little window in the book of Job. The book of Job is the oldest written book in the Bible. And we don't know much about Job, but um, scholars believe that he lived around the time of Isaac, Abraham's son, Isaac. And Job was a man who had immense wealth. God had blessed him on every front, financially, in his family, um, you name it. Job was blessed and everybody knew it. And the Bible says that, that God actually looked at Job and was pleased with Job's righteousness. That Job was doing his best to actually follow after God. And now look at what happens in this scene that we get a glimpse into the spiritual realm. Job chapter 1 verse 6. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. So that word for the members there, when you translate that, is essentially angels. That the angels of God came back to God's court to present themselves to him. And the imagery here is that of a king who would have rulers and authority figures underneath him who would be spread out all over his kingdom and would come back and report back to the king what they were doing, what they were seeing, and what was going on. And so this is a picture of what's happening in heaven in the supernatural realm, that God's angels are coming back to him to report back to him and say, look, this is what's going on with Noah. This is what's going on with Andrew. This is what's going on with so-and-so. This is what I see. And so God's angels come back to report to him. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. What's really interesting about this is when, when it actually is translated Satan, it's actually talking very specifically about a person. So it's not referring to the name Satan in some arbitrary abstract form, like some evil presence. It's actually referring to a specific being named Satan. Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. So we know, again, just a bit of context here, that way back in Genesis 3, when, when Satan tempts Adam and Eve and they sin and, and God um, gets uh, frustrated with them and whatnot, um, Satan actually was an angel that was thrown out of heaven because he actually wanted to be worshipped more than God. He, he craved that, that worship of all of the other angels. And God threw him out of heaven and gave him the earth as a place to roam and have authority over. So Satan says to him, I've been roaming the earth, looking at what's going on there. And God said, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's a blameless man. 
a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, all right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So just a couple of observations here before we kick into high gear with where we're going. One, so when we talk about the spiritual realm, and we sang about it this morning, the fact that God has no rival and no equal. Satan is not an equal counterpart to God. Satan is a created being that sits underneath the authority of God. There is no equality, not even remotely close, between Satan and God. Sure, he's an immensely powerful being, but he doesn't even come close to the power and authority of God himself. And so we see in this story that anything that Satan wants to do, he still needs God's permission to do. He still needs God's sign-off on authority to do what he wants to do. So Satan doesn't roam the earth doing whatever he wants to do, inflicting pain and punishment and harm. He actually is under the authority of God. Now, if we were going to go down a road uh, this morning, which we're not, it would pose a whole bunch of other questions about, you know, why would God allow evil and bad things and all of that. We're not going to cover that today. But you need to know from a a spiritual position that as loud as Satan roars, uh, Peter says that he roars like a lion looking for someone to devour and destroy. As loud as he roars and as fierce as he may seem, he's still underneath the authority of God and of Jesus specifically. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he crushed the head of the enemy under his feet. And for as formidable as Satan seems, he's just a lion who's on the loose, who's looking to stir up trouble And get you and I to believe that he's got more power and more authority and more control than he really does. And what does he do? This is the first thing to understand about this whole spiritual dynamic. The Bible says that he is the accuser of Christians, of the brethren. And what he loves to do is bring accusation against you and I to God and say, look, so-and-so did that. They did that. What about this? What about that? He loves bring accusation to us in our life. He loves to bring us to a spot where we're just being crushed under the weight of accusation and condemnation. That's what he does. That's what he does. And so, if there's this hierarchy and authority structure in the spiritual realm, then there must also be an authority structure and a hierarchy in the physical realm. And yes, there is. 
And that happens through the name of Jesus. And I want to just talk really quickly this morning. I, I just feel like we just need to get super practical because this can get all puffed up in head knowledge and whatnot. But there are really practical ways for you and I to walk in the authority that we have over the enemy of God in our lives. And Paul talks a little bit about it in Ephesians chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. This is like a classic famous uh, series of verses on spiritual warfare. And it's, uh, we're going to start in verse 10, Ephesians 6 verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor. Again, uh, Paul is just stressing here that we actually need to be clothed with all of it, not just part of it. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body, or it may say in your translation, the breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so Paul is saying, look, we're in a spiritual battle. It's taking place. I want you to be prepared to stand your ground and to stand strong in your faith. And this is the part that I feel like we just do so poorly at practicing this. We get kicked around and beat around like crazy. We actually give in and we buckle under the pressure. And it's not even a lot of pressure that the enemy needs to put on us to get us to buckle and to cave in. And Paul is saying, look, God has given you everything you need in another verse for life and godliness. God has given you the armament that you need in a defensive and offensive manner. And Paul is saying, look, what's so interesting about this, I was reflecting on this this week again, that these verses about our armament come in the context of Paul addressing relationships that we have, father and child relationships, family relationships, work relationships, this actually comes in the context of relationship. This is not to be seen in pure individual isolation. What Paul is saying here is that the enemy wants to use relationships, all of the relationships that you and I are in, to trip us up. He wants to use the relationships we're in to distort the truth in our life. He wants to use these relationships that we find ourselves in to knock us off what God has and wants for us. And so we need to arm ourselves not just for our own protection, 
but so that the relationships that we have around us are fortified and are healthy and can withstand the attacks of the enemy. You see, when it says in those verses that the enemy comes with a wily plan, some of the verses say, what, what that word wily actually means is cunning and very strategic. That the devil knows that the best way to attack you and I is not just to knock on the front door and say, here I am, I'm the devil, you're in trouble, kind of thing. That he knows how to best strategically knock us out at the knees. That he knows how to catch us off guard and throw us off what God wants and has for us. That he's cunning and he's smart with that. And he knows that the most effective way to actually infiltrate our life is through the most close relationships that we have. Our marriages, our kids, our families, our work relationships. Those are the relationships that he, that he actually drives a wedge into. He actually uses those relationships to speak lies over us. To get us to believe something about ourselves that's not true. Like you're a failure. You're a failure as a dad. Why couldn't you keep that marriage together? What's wrong with you? How come you can't be a better parent? How come you can't be a better coworker? What's wrong with you? What's deficient with you? That'll speak these lies into our life, not directly, but through the relationships that we have with other people. And then we begin to believe the lie of the enemy, that we are a failure, and that we're never going to make it, and that we're not good enough. And that we are a hopeless lost cause. And that we'll never be able to properly provide for our family. And so on and so on and so forth. And so Paul is saying, look, God has given you spiritual protection. And so he starts with that belt of truth. What's really interesting, if you understand, Paul, when he was writing this, was literally chained to two Roman soldiers. He was under arrest and was actually chained to two Roman soldiers. So he's writing this as he's looking at the guys that are chained to him going, okay, this makes sense. I can talk about this. And so when Paul talks about this belt of truth, the belt of truth wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, a, a, you know a belt from H&M that we would wear today. It was a very specifically designed girdle that the soldiers had to put on first. This was the most elementary but important piece to their whole armament. This belt of truth was the piece of clothing or the apparatus that actually secured much of the rest of their armament to their body. And so when they would put this belt of truth on, they didn't call it a belt of truth, I guess, but when they would put this belt on, it would allow them to prepare themselves the rest of the way for battle. And so this belt was the belt that would hold their sword and the scabbard. This belt was the belt that would attach their breastplate. This belt was the belt that would protect their kidneys and all of their vital organs in that area. And so Paul is saying, look, above anything else, you need to guard truth in your life. And you only have to look for 20 seconds online to go, what is true anymore? What is true? 
What I thought was true last year doesn't seem to be true anymore. And since the 70s and 80s, we've had this erosion and and this subjection of truth erosion going, well, what you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me, and let's just be happy. And now that has actually even gone further into the truth, into the church, where we don't even know where we stand on essential matters in the Bible anymore. Because there's been this slow erosion of truth over the last 20 or 30 years. And so now we're at a point in church life where we don't even know what to preach or what to say because we're not sure of what's true anymore, even about the Bible. And the question for you and I is, how are we going to have any footing in our life, any peace in our life, if we don't know what is true and what's not true? If we don't know what's true about us and how God sees us and what's true about our family and God's heart for our family and what's true about our work and so on and so forth. And so Paul says, before you do anything, put on truth. And then he says, after that, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate was designed very specifically for Roman soldiers. And it was actually a multi-layered apparatus that they would put on that was layered almost like scales and the outside of it would be this bright perfectly sort of polished silver and the Roman soldiers would attach that breastplate to their their belt and that breastplate was essential in protecting their heart from the attacks of the enemy And Paul says that breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness. In the Bible, it says that there's no one righteous, not even one, and that our righteousness is like filthy rags. So what is Paul saying? He's saying it's not your righteousness that you're wearing. It's not your good works or the things that you think you're doing that are great and, and, you know, the things that we pat ourselves on the back for. He's saying, no, it's what Jesus already did for you. And so often in our struggle with what's going on in the world around us, we buy into the temptation of self-righteousness where we believe that we actually stand above and apart from those around us that somehow we have a better grasp or understanding of what's going on and that our anger is justified and our frustration is justified and the way we lash out and react is justified and the way we hurt people is justified and we take on this self-righteousness. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. If you want to protect your heart, if you want to keep your heart soft, you want to understand what's going on around you, you need to accept the righteousness that comes from Jesus because your righteousness is filthy. And then he says that we move on to the helmet of salvation. And Roman soldiers had the most advanced headwear of any other army in their time period. And that helmet protected their ears and the sides and the back of their neck. They obviously knew that their head was the most vulnerable part 
of their body in combat. And so they went to great lengths to protect it. And the enemy goes to great lengths to wage a war on our minds, to get us to believe his lies and accusations, to get us to believe the untruth of who we are in Christ, to get us to buy into to this lie that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing anyone can do about it, to get us to believe all sorts of lies. And Paul says that we actually need to put on the helmet of salvation. We actually need to surrender our mind to Christ and to acknowledge and admit, God, I don't understand everything that's happening. So I need to think the way that you think. I need your wisdom and your insight and your understanding. And then Paul says that we need to take the shield of faith. And that faith very specifically is toward God. And and the word that Paul uses there is not a boisterous faith like let's go take the, the enemy's camp and let's do this and let's do that. No, the word for that faith is a, a sure, patient faith, a trust in God so deep in us that he is in control, that he is sovereign. And even when we walk through garbage on earth and hell on earth, that God is still in control and he still is sovereign. And although we don't understand his ways and we don't get it sometimes, that God has a purpose and he has a plan. And that's where our faith resides. These shields that the Roman soldiers had they would call them, they actually called them doors because they almost looked like a door. And these shields were pretty big and heavy and in order to be agile in combat, they would actually tie the shields to their arms so that they wouldn't lose the shield in the middle of combat. And the shield was tied to their arms and the shield also sometimes they, they, would, they would dip them in water because when they would be faced with battle and opposition, oftentimes the enemy would fire over flaming arrows. And sometimes those arrows were even dipped in poison. And the only way to protect themselves would be to dip these shields in water, or or sometimes they actually used anointing oil and rubbed the oil on them so that when the arrows hit the shield, it would extinguish the flame. And the Bible says that our faith is the same way that when we trust God so deeply in our life, it doesn't matter how severe the attack of the enemy, our faith in God is stronger to extinguish that. And Paul used that analogy of the arrows because that was the most sort of advanced warfare he could find in his day and time. Those arrows were the most devastating tactic of battle in Paul's day. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter how devastating the attack you're facing, the faith that we can place in God is stronger still, but you need to stand firm. And so then Paul talks about feet fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And we talked about a few weeks ago, the shoes the Roman soldiers would wear. And and they spent more time crafting their shoes than any other part of their armor. 
their shoes were thick on the bottom and actually had like like little sort of nails that they would that they would punch through and then cut off so that they had grip in the in the in the heat of battle when they would be pushed up against enemy forces these shoes would allow them to dig into the ground and hold their ground without getting pushed back or pushed off the front line They knew that in battle, if you were pushed off your balance, if you were knocked over, you were dead. There was no coming back for that. So in these battles, in this day and age, when they fought hand to hand, close quarters, leverage was everything. Leverage was everything. And Paul is saying, look, we've got this gospel of peace that gives us leverage over the enemy in our life. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the Bible. And what I love about this analogy is this sword that Paul would have seen on his armed guards every day was a finely tuned weapon. They weren't super long. There was five different kinds of Roman swords, but the ones Paul's talking about were shorter and they had a little curve at the very end of them. And they were razor sharp. And the swords were designed specifically to inflict maximum, maximum damage with the least amount of effort. And the reason that they were kind of turned at the end was so that with a very shallow depth of plunging into somebody's stomach, they could rip their insides right out. It's pretty gory. But the point is that the sword of the Spirit, the Bible in our life, is very powerful and very effective. That God has given us a tool that can decimate the enemy. The question you and I need to answer today is, are we using it? Do we know it? When the enemy comes to attack, do we have a response? Sometimes I feel like mine is made out of wood and... It's not very sharp at all. And it's not because there's a problem with that. It's because I don't know how to use it. And when we talk about spiritual authority and warfare in our life, we need to understand that God has given us the tools to stand our ground, not to be beaten around and pushed around by the enemy. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen. Job lost everything, everything catastrophic loss in his life. But he still wouldn't curse God. And then right at the end of the book, as he was still declaring God's goodness in his life, in the midst of literally everything being taken from him, God decided to bless him again and bless him two times more than he had blessed him the first time. So the question for us is not how we stand and fight when things are going well, but when everything's gone to crap around us, when we've lost everything, when we have no sense of bearing, do we have the fortitude and the strength and the know-how to stand our ground and push back on the accusation of the enemy, push back on his lies, to arm ourselves with truth, say, not today. Not today. Let's stand together.
there's something really simple. You may have heard me talk about this before, but there's something really simple I've done every day for the better part of 20 years. And I'm going to, as I pray to close, I'm going to model it for you. But there's something that I do every morning. There's nothing magical specifically about it, but what this does is this grounds me every day in the reality that I'm in a spiritual battle and that the enemy is trying to use my family, my work relationships, all of the relationships around me to take me out. And so every day I go through this in the morning. The first thing I do is I proclaim who God is and who I am in him. I declare his lordship and his authority over my life every day. It's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is I renounce the schemes and tactics of the enemy in my life, the things in me that he wants to use against me, my pride, my anger, my fear, whatever, whatever it is. I take authority over those and renounce their effects over my life every single day. The third thing I do is I entreat, I put on the armor of God in my life. I pray for God to fill me with truth and his righteousness, with faith. I go through the whole thing. And the last thing I do is I just spend time telling God that I love him and that I trust him. So I'm going to do that as we close here today. And this is a a really simple thing. There's no magic here. But this is one way. I just want to challenge you with this, to begin the daily process of acknowledging that A, you don't know everything, that you need insight, and that God actually wants to help you walk in victory. But you gotta start fighting. You'll notice that Roman soldiers had nothing on their back. (laughs) Their back was vulnerable because they knew they could never afford to turn their back on their enemy. And so often when we get scared, when the enemy comes, when the storm comes and the trial comes, we turn and we run instead of just standing our ground. So let's pray as we close. Father, today we just proclaim your lordship and your authority over our lives. We just declare today, God, that you are greater in us than he who is in the world. We proclaim today, God, that your mercy triumphs over your judgment. We proclaim, God, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that you have for us. We proclaim, Jesus, that your name is higher than any other name and that we are seated at the right hand of the Father with you. We proclaim, God, that you have called us to overcome. We proclaim that you've given us everything we need for life today and for godliness today. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we just recognize and we renounce the assignments and the attacks of the enemy in our life, God. We renounce fear in the name of Jesus. God, your word says that your perfect love casts out all fear and that you haven't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love and of peace and of sound mind. It's in the name of Jesus. We take authority over that spirit of fear and we send it to the cross for judgment. In Jesus' name, we just renounce and rebuke the spirit of pride. Your word says that you're opposed to the proud, but you give grace to the humble. 
And so we take authority over pride in our lives and we just send it to the cross for judgment. And Jesus, we just ask that you clothe us today again in your armor. You clothe us with your truth. Jesus, you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So we ask that you clothe us in that. And we ask that you clothe us in our breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, we acknowledge that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so we ask Jesus that our righteousness would be replaced with your righteousness. And Father, we pray for our helmet of salvation. We surrender our minds to you, our our intellect, our understanding. And we ask that you would teach us to know and to understand you more. God, we just declare that we are saved by grace through faith. Father, we just pray for our shield of faith. Jesus, we just say our faith is toward you. God, whatever happens in our life, teach us to trust in you. Father, we just pray for our feet fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace that you, Jesus. God, that we would be ready to demonstrate the peace that we have in you. In a world, God, that's being ripped apart by violence and fear and anxiety and apprehension, we just declare your peace over our families and our lives. And Father, we pray for our sword of the Spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you teach us to fight. That you give us a passion to read your word and understand what it says. Jesus, we just want to tell you again today that we love you. We give you praise, God, for the victory that comes in your name. And we just want to tell you this week, Jesus, today, today, God, that we're so grateful for what you've done on the cross for us, Jesus. We just pray that you would teach us to follow you, to walk in the authority that you've given us and to trust you today. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.